Okay, this morning we're in Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. Let's uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to study, to learn more about you, and learn about your relationship with your people, um, and just your uh, care for them, and how you've been faithful to the Jews over so many years, and and uh, this morning about how uh, they rejoice to study your word and and learn from it. And we just pray that we'll have that same spirit of, of wanting to know your word, of uh, wanting to learn and, and uh, appreciate you for what you've written. Pray you bless our time now. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so uh, it, last week we did cover most of chapter 7. One of the things we saw um, back in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 7, and this was kind of a summary of, you know, they, they got the walls completed, the doors hung, and Nehemiah set up guards. They needed gate guards because they never had them before because they never had gates before. So he set a couple of people uh, over the city administratively, someone over the, the guards, and and then there was the comment that the city was basically empty. There were not that many people living in it. And so um, they're coming up with a plan to get more people to live in the city. You need people to have a thriving city. And looking ahead in chapter 11, they will actually uh, draw lots of the people who live in the surrounding area and have them, a certain number of them, move into the city. But in order to do that, they needed a, basically a list of names of the, the Jews who qualified to live in God's city. So they had to have a, a genealogical record to show that they were indeed descendants of Israel. And so they started doing this survey and they found the old original list from Ezra chapter 2 of when the Jews returned to Jerusalem after uh, uh, Cyrus defeated Babylon and, and sent out his edict that the Jews could return. So that was like 90 years earlier. And so most of chapter 7 was basically a copy of Ezra chapter 2. So they've got this list of names. They're going to draw names by lot, find out who's going to move back and repopulate the city. And that'll be in chapter 11. So what about chapters 8, 9, and 10? Well, that's almost an interruption in that process. What we're going to have here is a focus on a spiritual revival, a religious revival among the people. So we've been talking about Nehemiah and the civil government doing something, and then we take a break, talk about Ezra and a religious revival, and then we're going to go back to Nehemiah in chapter 11. So this morning we uh, are going to start actually in verse 2 of chapter 8, but I'll, I'll read verses 1 and 1 through 3. It says, All the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest 
brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it before the square which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So we've already discussed the fact that this is on the first day of the seventh month. Um, Going back to chapter 6, they finished the wall construction in the sixth month. I think it was like the 23rd day of the month or something like that, 25th day of the month. So we're talking, you know, a week or so after they've gotten the doors hung, the walls all completed, and now it's the first day of the seventh month. And do we remember what special day this is? The first day of the seventh month. In the Jewish calendar, it's the first day of their civil year. So this is New Year's Day. It's called the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah. You've probably heard Rosh Hashanah. So this is the first day of, of the seventh month. And so the people have all gathered. Um, it says they're in the square there in front of this water gate. And these verses give us a, an idea of who, of who all is there. They've asked Ezra to bring the, the book of the Law of Moses. And so um, Ezra the priest is there to, uh, he, he has brought the law. But it says we've got uh, both men and women, as well as, it says, those who can understand. So that's referring to the children. You know, those who are old enough to listen, to understand what he's teaching. You know, I would include teenagers, maybe some grade school kids who are old enough to understand, but all the the children who are old enough to understand. And so this really emphasizes here um, the whole family is there to learn the word of God together. You know, it wasn't just the fathers in the family, and but no, they were all invited. They were all there together uh, to listen and hear. Um, and the other thing it, it tells us is knowledge of God's word is not limited to just religious leaders. You know, it's not like, okay, well, a priest knows all the answers, and if I have a question, I'll go ask him. No, everybody is supposed to know all of the word, um, to know it and understand it. So let's, uh, let's turn to Malachi chapter 2. We've got a passage about this. Malachi chapter 2, and would someone like to read verses 5 through 8 for us? My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of me, of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because... He is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. 
but you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, said the Lord Almighty. Okay, so really the... Maybe you should have read verse 4 also, but it talks about my covenant may continue with Levi. So he's talking about the original Levitical priests here, that God made a covenant with Levi. Um, and Levi was to have instruction. He was to teach the people. They were, they were the, the Levites, the priests. They were to know the law. They were to teach the people. Um, and that was their job. That was what... what God had made a covenant with them, but at the end, he's, Malachi says, but you have turned aside. So he's talking to the Levitical priests, the Levites, he says, you failed to teach. You're no longer instructing the people in my way. Um, he says, you've caused people to stumble. Um, they've corrupted the covenant. So they were not teaching. Malachi actually is somewhat of a contemporary with Nehemiah. If you look at the dates, they overlap. I'm thinking Malachi probably followed this period of time that we're reading about, though. But God sent him, uh, I think, probably shortly after uh, Nehemiah was there. I also want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy 31 specifically relates to the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But the Feast of Tabernacles was going to occur on the 15th of the seventh month. So two weeks after the events we're talking about. So we're talking about the first day of the seventh month. So two weeks later is this Feast of Tabernacles. So someone like to read in Deuteronomy 31 verses 10 through 13 for us. Then Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of remission of debts, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which he will choose, you shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, the men, the women, the children, and the alien who is in your town, so that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law. Their children, who have not known, will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. Okay, so here they were to teach all of Israel, and this is on a regular basis. This is every seven years at this Feast of Booths, which was coming up. Um, They were to read, and again, you look at who's going to listen. He says the men, the women, and the children, also the alien. Because those who were not Jewish, who were living among the Jews, had to follow the same laws. So they had to know the law because they were held accountable for following it, even though they were not uh, of Israelite descent. And this feast went on every year? Pardon? This feast went on every year or just every seven years? The feast is annual. The feast itself is annual, but apparently every seven years they they were required to read the law to everyone. And again, they, the reason, they said the year your debt's forgiven. Or, you know, that, right. So that year. So right. They probably keep track of what year that was. Yeah. <laughs> they look forward to, okay, <laughs> I'm going to be out of debt next year. Yeah, it's like uh, knowing when, when your last mortgage payment is. Yeah. 
we have a little celebration. So this is a day of celebration, okay? Uh, and again, as we read in Deuteronomy, it's, so it's all the people will hear the word, they'll hear the law, they'll learn it, they will learn to fear the Lord, and they'll learn to obey him. So that's the purpose of this teaching. And uh, I like verse, and their children do not know this law, will also learn of the too. So. All right. So it's learning for, for the generations also. Yeah, so every generation should know it and learn it. Uh, that's why we try to go over the Bible so much in Sunday school classes. I think our Nancy and Scott and Justin all do a real good job of teaching the Bible. We got kids come out; they they pretty well know what the Bible says when they've gone, gone through all the Sunday school classes. Yeah. Uh, okay, so back to uh, chapter eight of Nehemiah. It said uh, so. Ezra's reading the. the the Bible it says he reads from morning to mid midday, so that's six a.m. to noon. So that's six hours that he was reading here, um, and it says they were attentive. Now I don't have a six-hour attention span, but and I don't think they did either. Um, one of the things that we will see as we get a little further in this passage is they were also being instructed, and so the commentaries basically believe that they. Ezra would read a passage, and then they, the Levites would instruct them, and then they'd read another passage, and then the Levites would instruct them. So it wasn't just sitting and listening to someone reading on and on and on. Um, that's not a good way of learning. Okay, going on to verses 4 and 5. It says, And Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood... And then we got a list here of 13 names. So these are the important people of Jerusalem who are up there on this podium as Ezra reads the law. And it's not certain whether they're priests, whether they're Levites, or just community leaders. Um, there's probably some of, of each. Um, but looking at the last name in verse 4 is Meshulam. Let's go back to chapter 6, and would someone like to read verse 18? For many in Judah were under the oath to him, since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Era, and his, his son, Jehoahanan, had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Barakah. Okay, so this is talking about Tobiah. Remember the two main opposition was Sanballat and Tobiah, the Ammonite. Tobiah's son, Jehohanan, <laughs> let's try it together again, Jehohanan had married Meshulam's daughter. So he, his, Meshulam was a leader, one of the leaders on this platform, his daughter had married the son of Nehemiah's chief opponent. So we've been, as we've been going through this, we've talked about the opposition there in Jerusalem that Nehemiah faced. And so, you know, he, he was one of the leaders. He was up on the pulpit, up on the dais, you know, when you have a, 
political leader come to town to give a speech. They put all the important people up there. Well, Meshulam was up there. Okay, so that was verse 4. I'll go on and read verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. So they are up on a, a podium. What? It's kind of funny because some of the commentaries said, this is the first podium mentioned in the scriptures. And I thought, wow, that's really neat. You know, that's not important. But then they, when you go back and you look at when Solomon uh, built his temple and dedicated the temple, he built a podium so he could stand. So I'm thinking, they missed that one. But he never used it. Well, he, Solomon did. <laughs> but he never, never said he used it, so it probably wasn't mentioned. So yeah. But this, this must be a pretty good-sized podium. they got 14 people up there. Yeah. 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 So they built a big platform. It's a stage. Yeah, they built a stage. Um, uh, so it says he opened the book. Uh, their book was a scroll. Um, what we have today with pages is called a codex. So if you want to know what a codex is, it's something with separate pages are fastened together. But they had a scroll, so he opens up the scroll. Um, hasn't started reading yet, but everybody stands out of reverence for God's word. And so our history of standing while we read scriptures goes back a long, long time. Let's look at uh, chapter... Nine, and someone like to read verse three for us. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. Okay, so again, we have the people standing while the Bible is read. Let's look at Luke chapter four. This is where. Early in his ministry, Jesus reads the scriptures in the synagogue in Nazareth. Luke chapter 4. Someone like to read verses 16 through 20. synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery to the sight of the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Okay, so here Jesus stands to read the word. When he's done reading the word, he'll sit back down. It doesn't say anything about the synagogue, but uh, the congregants there. But it's under, I think the commentaries say it was normal practice for everybody to stand 
for the reading of God's word. Um, kind of like a just a side comment. Um, reading the quotation from Isaiah in verse 19 to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, he stopped mid-sentence. And that's because proclaiming the favorable year of the Lord was what he did on his first advent. The rest of the sentence talks about judgment that will come on his second advent. And so, you know, he goes on to say, today the scripture has been fulfilled. Well, the second half of that sentence has not been fulfilled. But that shows, I think, one of the difficulties sometimes of reading through the prophecy in the Old Testament and knowing what applies to what. So here's a sentence. The first half of the sentence applies to the first advent. The second half of the sentence applies to the second advent. So um, that makes it a little bit confusing sometimes to figure out, now what exactly is this phrase talking about? Okay, so we have this uh, practice of standing for the reading of the word. The people are attentive. Um, and Nehemiah has been reading. Let's look at going on to verse 6. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands, then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Okay, so um, we kind of have all the steps mixed up here together, but before they really start reading and, and teaching, Ezra prays and blesses God, and he's called the great God here to emphasize God's glory, his majesty. Um, we see the people responded by saying, Amen, Amen. You know, they agree to the prayer. We see them bowing down and worshiping. So this is part of a, a spiritual revival. You know, you, you don't have just some of the people showing up and half-hearted worship because they have to. Um, this is important to them. They've all shown up. They're all wanting to worship God. They all want to know his word. So then the reading... Um, of the scriptures and the instruction begin. So looking at verses 7 and 8. And verse 7 starts out with another long list of names. Um, again, there's 13. Our first list in verse 4 had 13 names, and this one has 13 names. I don't know if that's a coincidence or special or what, but um, this long list of names... Um, and it says, and the Levites explained the law to the, pro to the people while the people remained in their place. And they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. So here we have the people um, being instructed so they would understand what was being read. It's not enough just to read the word like it's some kind of a magic sentence you pronounce over people. Uh, the goal was to understand it. Um, verse 8, it says they translated it. Um, the commentary said it's very likely that the, the law was written in Hebrew. The people had been in Persia. Hebrew was not their, the Persian language. That they, Many of them would know Aramaic, but not Hebrew. So they'd read in Hebrew, and, you know, it's like, uh, Greek, you know, Greek to me. <laughs> they didn't know what was being said. So then the Levites would then translate it into the Aramaic, make sure the people understood exactly what it meant, what it said. 
And again, the ultimate goal is understanding. You know, and this is the goal of all teaching, to make sure the people understand uh, what is being said. So how do people respond to this? You know, for many of them, they've never heard it before. How do they respond? So verse 9. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. So they responded with weeping and mourning. Um, you know, we'll see in verses 10 11, it also talks about grieving. You know, sometimes people weep for joy or weep out of relief. Well, that's not what they were doing here. They were, this was grief. Um, they, they definitely understood it. Um, and they had conviction of their sins. So here's God's law. Here's what God's holiness requires. And they finally understood this is how we're supposed to live. And they realized that they weren't even close. They were violating God's law all the time in many ways. And they were convicted of that. And so they responded by weeping and grief. Um, we do have some other examples of, of this kind of response to the, God's word. Let's, let's turn back to Second Chronicles chapter 34. not too far back. So the background here is Josiah was the king. And he ordered that the temple be repaired. His predecessors were Manasseh and Ammon. They were horrible kings, idolaters, and they had together ruled for 57 years. And so the word of God was basically put in storage. So someone like to read in, in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 14, and then verses 18 and 19. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord... Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. And then... 18 and 19. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read, read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard of the words of the law, he tore his robes. Okay, so the tearing of the robes is an expression of grief. They lost God's word. <laughs> and and they were the, the money was for the repair of the temple, so they were cleaning out, working on repairing the temple, and they well, they found this book. It was God's it was God's word. They'd lost it. Um, that's that's kind of sad. Here's God's people. <laughs> They'd lost God's word. Uh, but Josiah responded. When he heard, he realized just how this is the same as how bad they were. Um, here was God's description of holiness and righteousness, and, and they were not living up to that. Um, he, he was but, relatively young, too. 
Yes, I think he was. Six, it looks like he's 16. It said he was in the eighth year of his reign. So he was eight. He was still a youth. So, well, he would have been 26, I think. Oh, because I thought he was eight years old when he became king. Right, and then down in verse 8, it says in the 18th year of his reign. Eight. Okay. Yeah, he asked him to. So he would have been 26, not, yeah. not too young. So he responded in that same way with grief um, when he realized what, what God's accounted or required of him. In that same chapter, if we're still there, um, and someone like to read verses 26 through 28 for us. This is God's response through a, a prophet. to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord thus you will say to him thus says the Lord God of Israel regarding the words which you have heard because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants and because you humbled yourself before me tore your clothes and wept before me I truly have heard you declares the Lord behold I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, so your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring in this place and on its inhabitants. And they brought back word to the king. Okay, some of the things that uh, we read in, I think, both Leviticus and, the, and the, where it's repeated in Deuteronomy is we, there's a very long chapter, the first third of the chapter is the blessings of obedience. The rest of the chapter, two-thirds of the chapter, are, is the curse, disobedience. And, and you read that part about the curse, and it gives you a perfect description of the destruction of Jerusalem, all the horrible things that happened to him. And so Josiah heard that, and he said, this is what's coming. He realized that was what was coming, and that was why he was weeping and grieving. And God honored his repentance and told him, this will not happen in your lifetime. It is going to happen, but not in your lifetime. You will not have to see it. And so that was kind of Josiah's reward, in a sense, for uh, responding to God's word. So this destruction is what, uh, this coming destruction is what made Josiah grieve. Um, Now, here in the book of Nehemiah, we're, you know, a couple hundred years later, that destruction is past. And it, it may be that the people are reading this and saying, oh, we slipped back into that same mold. Is it going to happen again? You know, they may have been looking at that and saying, okay, are we going to get destroyed again? Or it may be that they actually recognize the sin in their own lives and grieved over that. So we're not really told. Or it may have been both. Um, but that was how they responded. So the people were grieving, but their leaders were telling them, no, no, this is a, today is a day that's a holy day. It's the Feast of Trumpets. And according to God's word, it's, it's holy. It's set apart. And it's not set apart for a day of grief. It's set apart for a day of celebration. God says, you are supposed to celebrate on this day. It's New Year's Day. It's a new, you know, that's why they're out blowing the trumpets. You know, it's a day for celebration. 
And so that's part of the instruction was, okay, you're, <laughs> yes, I know that uh, we should repent, and that's going to come up in chapter 9. But not today. Today is not a day of grief. Today is a day to celebrate because it's a special day that God has set aside for celebration. Um, a day of trumpets and celebration. And we'll see more about what they're supposed to be doing to celebrate on this day. Um, now, one of the things that's interesting in this verse is it mentions Nehemiah. He's not, in these three chapters, um, 8, 9, and 10, he's only mentioned twice. But then it mentions Nehemiah and Ezra in the same verse, that they're both there together. Um, one thing you might notice about Ezra, he's called both a priest and a scribe. So he was in the priesthood. He was also well-trained. He was a scribe. Um, there are some who have uh, scholars who have problems with the fact that both these names show up in the same verse here and there's some I think there's some old texts that don't have Nehemiah's name here because they want to say that this this whole event occurred before Nehemiah's time that Ezra soon after he had uh, come back to the land that he had led them in this revival and they had celebrated the feast of booths before Nehemiah so Ezra actually came back 13 years before Nehemiah did. So they, they want to put it in that time slot. But there's a lot of problems with that. So it's probably that they were both there at the same time, and, and we don't have to worry about it. But it's a, it amazes me how often we see the commentaries say, well, some scholars say this, or some scholars say that, and so, you know, there's... They have problems with the way the Bible's written because it doesn't fit what they think happened. <laughs> so I think it should be the other way around. <laughs> uh, the Bible has priority over our theology, uh, our systematic theology, let's say. Okay. So it makes sense, though, to have a, a, a spiritual revival here. If we remember back... Um, well, let's turn back to chapter 6, verse 16. So they just finished the wall. Someone would like to read this for us. Chapter 6, verse 16. When all our enemies heard of it, and all of the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence, but they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our Okay, so, you know, the surrounding nations recognize that they built this wall in 52 days. That was an act of God. That was, they, no one expected that to happen. You know, them building a wall is kind of like um, the walls of Jericho falling down. You know, it was, it was an obvious act of God, and that's why the surrounding nations were so discouraged. They said, this is, you know, this was God's hand. The Jews should have also recognized that this was God's hand. God built this wall for us. They should be rejoicing. They should be worshiping in response to that. And so that makes sense that they would have this celebration going on right after finishing the wall. 
So anyways, we see Ezra and Nehemiah and the Levites going around to encourage the people. And what they say is in verses 10 and 11. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. Um, Eat, drink, celebrate. That was the message. Um, Invite everyone to join in. You know, we got lots of food. Come. You know, it sounds like our potlucks. You know, we try to, okay, I know you didn't bring anything today, but we always have food left over. Please join us. You know, and that's kind of what they were doing there. I think this is like a giant potluck here this day. Um, And and it may also include the poor, those who were not able to afford food. Come and eat. Eat, drink, and be merry with us. It's a day to celebrate. Um, Let's go back to Numbers chapter 10. We have a comment about this feast. Numbers chapter 10, and would someone like to read verse 10? Numbers 10, 10. Okay, the day of your gladness, an appointed feast. Blow the trumpets. So here we have gladness and trumpets, the celebration here um, in, in Numbers 10.10. 10. Um, now this in verse 10 is not just the Feast of Booths, but it includes all our feasts and celebrations. You know, God does want us to celebrate all his gifts to us, and we should. He's been very gracious to us. Um, I want to look at Psalm 81 because this has a description of, of celebration. Psalm 81. <coughs> Someone would like to read verses 1 through 3 for us here. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Begin the music, strike the timbrel, play the melodious harp and lyre. Sound the ram's horn at the new moon, and when the moon is full on the day of our festival, okay. as a decree for Israel and ordinance of the God of Jacob. Okay, that's, that's good. So here's, he's talking about the festivals, um, <clears throat> new moons. New moon was the first day of the month. So this is the seventh month, the first day, is a, it's a special new moon festival because it's not just the first of the month, the first of the, it's also the first of the year. So they talk about singing for joy, shout joyfully, you know, sing, strike the timbrel, um, play the harp, uh, blow the, yours says ram's horn, but this says trumpet. That's what they use for trumpets. This is an example of the celebration and the feast that they were supposed to have on this day. Um, and so the, the Levites, again, are telling the people that this is a, whole, a holy day set, set apart for celebration. Um, you know, God has shown his power, and that should be your joy. You should have joy because of his power. Um, sometimes we think of holy days as being 
serious and dull and you know, like a one-day prison sentence. <laughs> but they're not. They're supposed to be celebrations. There's all these feasts in the... You know, you don't, you don't mourn at a feast. <laughs> you, you celebrate. God wants us to celebrate his blessings. And he talks about, you know, how does he put it in verse, uh, I'm lost here, I'm in numbers. Let's get back to Nehemiah. Um, verse 10 in Nehemiah 8.10. It says, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet. You know, sometimes you think, well, fat? I don't want to eat fat. Um, that, it means to eat the, the best, most enjoyable foods. You know, if you go out and you order a very good, expensive steak, and it's really juicy and tender, it's because it's well marbled. That means it's got fat throughout the entire steak. It's not globs of fat, but it's it's marbled. It's, it, it's a... And... You know, if you go out to an expensive restaurant and order a, a really good dish, I'll tell you, it's going to be dripping in butter. <laughs> I think the last time I had a fettuccine at Red Lobster, you, know, you look at the bowl after you finish it, here's this layer of butter in the bottom of the bowl. You know, that's eating of the fat. It's, it's, you know, we love it. Um, and it talks about drinking of the sweet. You know, we've got our, you know, coffee, you know. Just drink coffee, you drink lattes. You know, what flavor do you want in your latte? How much sugar do you want in it? You know, we enjoy that. So again, you know, the potluck, eat dessert. Eat two desserts, or three. Yeah. Eat of the fat, drink of the, you know, drink of the sweet. So how do the people respond to this teaching? We have verse 12. And all the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. So this was the last bit of teaching for that day was, God says to celebrate. And so they obeyed. This is not one of the hard things to obey. Some things are hard to obey. This is an, this is an easy one. Um, so they went off and they celebrated. And they did what the law said. They ate, they drank, they shared the food with others. Now there's going to be a time for self-examination for repentance coming up. And that'll be in verse, excuse me, chapter 9. Um, but here they are celebrating. So this section, this is again the, the first day of the seventh month. Um, it tells us they understood the words of the law. And... While God's word does contain warnings for disobedience, it also contains wonderful promises of blessing for those who seek God, who obey his word, and he gives us a basis for hope in our lives through his word. Okay, going on to verse 13 tells us what happens the next day. So this is a good place to stop and take a break for now. Well, Joey, the day. pardon? The judgment that's there. Celebrate today, but judgment. <laughs> no, it's not going to be judgment yet. <laughs> that's the next <laughs> chapter. The yeah, yeah it, celebrate today for tomorrow. <laughs> there's going to be more celebration. Yeah, more celebration on the next day. So, 
Okay. Joe, would you like to close sure. in prayer? Please? Dear Lord, thank you for this time we can gather and open up your word to see what you have for us. Thank you for the living word that it is, for the way it instructed them today, to the yesterday, and for us today. We thank you for that. We thank you for the way you speak to us. We pray that we'll be obedient to your callings, that we'll do the things you want us to do, that we won't uh, put aside those things you call us to do, that we'll do them, follow through, and finish up with them. Thank you for this hour. Pray for the next hour when Robert brings a message. We thank you for that. We just pray we have worshipful attitude as we sit here and listen to what we have. We pray. Amen. Amen. And there it is.